everyone. Welcome to the Let It Be podcast. I'm your host, Becky Ziegenfuss. Each show, I share conversations around purpose and promise. We talk about friendships, family, faith, all the favorite things. Make this your time. So whatever you have to do, let it go, let it wait, let it be. Welcome to episode 14 of the Let It Be podcast. I really cannot believe how quickly these months are ticking by in this year, 2020. And for those of you who have been with us since the very beginning, thanks for joining along. And if there have been any episodes that you've missed, you might want to go back and take a listen. We've had some really great guests with some great stories to share. This is October and it is Pastor Appreciation Month. And many of you know that I happen to be married to a pastor. And so I invited my husband on this episode of the Let It Be podcast, and he has graciously, if not maybe with a little bit of arm twisting, agreed to come on. So Andy, welcome to my podcast. Thank you, babe. (laughs) I don't know if a lot of you know this, but many pastors are actually strong introverts rather than extroverts. You kind of assume that because they're on stage and they speak to hundreds of people every week that they have this super outgoing, always want to be with people, always want to be talking into a microphone type of personality. That's not you. No, <laughs> that is true. Um, I really do enjoy the, the, the preaching side of ministry. Um, I, I laugh. I say it all the time. The people side, not so much, um, <laughs> but you can't really divorce the two. I mean, it's kind of part of the deal. So I absolutely love the preaching. And it's funny. I feel like on Sunday mornings, I can do the whole extroverted thing uh, when I have to. And, mm-hmm. and don't get me wrong. I, I know that's part of it. And I so I definitely welcome that as part of what I do, um, but it does take a lot of energy out of me to do it. Mm -hmm. So I look forward to Sunday afternoons when things can settle down a little bit. I bet most pastors take naps on Sunday afternoons. I I bet it's part of the ritual. I bet they crash pretty hard. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And that's also probably why when churches are able, they can build a staff so that all of the different giftings for each pastor on the team can speak or live out the the areas that maybe are, are a challenge for you as the lead pastor. Yes, I think there's a lot of wisdom to a lead pastor recognizing definitely what he's good at and celebrating his strengths, but then also admitting weaknesses mm-hmm. and in building a team of people that make up for his weaknesses. So, I mean, I just think of our church team. We have a great team of people who, man, when you look across just a personality spectrum, we're all very, very different, but I think we're creating, in other words, we're, we're building a team of people, uh, that really bring a lot of different giftings to the table. So it doesn't all have to fall on me or to fall on any one of us. Um, you know, we, we can really encourage one another to grow in our strengths and fill in the gaps for sure. I think that's changed a lot in church. I grew up as you know, babe, in the ministry, my dad was a pastor and there seems to be a much more intentional effort on broadening the scope of skills. And even for you and I, we're much more of a team as we, you particularly lead the church than I think we saw in couples decades ago. I think it was Andy Stanley years ago. I read a book. I just don't remember what it was right now, but I could go find it quickly. 
where he even picked up on that same thing. He said that even 20 to 25 years ago, a good, a good pastor was like somebody who did it all. So he Mm -hmm. did the hospital visits and he did the counseling and he could lead worship and, um, you know, he could pray in front of large crowds, not to mention he could put a sermon together and preach and give an invitation. It was kind of a, a rounded individual that could do all of those things. But I think his point was great because he said, what tends to happen in those situations is what you're good at tends to be the thing that gets the least amount of attention because you're, mm. you're good at it. So you mm-hmm. can do it naturally. Mm-hmm. But the church actually needs you to build what you're good at into being even better at it. Mm-hmm. So like in my case, I do think that I uh, have the gift of preaching. I think that's why God has raised me up to lead our church. But if I were doing all those other things every day of the week and wasn't putting as much time into developing sermons and preaching them, maybe I wouldn't be bringing the best that I can to our church to the degree that the church would grow because of me pressing into what God has gifted me to do. If that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, that's really good. Yeah. That's really good. So we, we've been in ministry, whether it's been full-time vocational ministry, or even when you were in seminary, we were still leading in different capacities within the church our entire marriage. And we've been married for over 21 years. Mm-hmm. So tell, because not everyone knows our story, I'm going to kind of partner with you. And for those of you listening, normally when I have a guest on, we have some conversation points that we discuss and lay out ahead of time, but Andy and I are just winging it today. <laughs> so I've totally yeah. put him on the and spot. And I'm all about winging stuff. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's like the most prepared person that you could ever meet. I don't even like that word. <laughs> yeah. And uh, here we are just seeing how the wind blows. But so we've been in ministry for 21 years. Mm-hmm. We don't need to break down every year that we've been serving in the local church, but maybe give us a high level synopsis of where we were that has led us to where we are with our current church and and planting and all of those things that we never thought would be part of our story just less than a decade ago. Well, we, you know, we went through, we did the seminary thing that was back in the early 2000s. We went away for seminary, did most of seminary out of state. Uh, We came back to the Cincinnati area. I think it was 2000. Two. Two to three. Mm -hmm. I had one more year to complete. So I Mm -hmm. went to a seminary, about an hour and a half from here and, and finished up there. Um, coming right out of that in 2003, we took a job at a small church in a suburb of Cincinnati as a youth pastor. Um, I remember at the time really thinking there's no way that I could ever lead a church or, or preach. Mm-hmm. And uh, man, I look back on that now and I, I just think I was not really, well, I'll say it this way. I'm not sure that I was open to anything and everything that God wanted to do in my life. Mm-hmm. I kind of felt like there's no way a mid 20 somethings could start a church, could pastor a church, could preach regularly. I mean, at the time I hated preaching too. Mm-hmm. So there's mm-hmm. that. Um, so we took a youth pastor job and it, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It wasn't like we kind of settled for a student ministry job. It's just really what I felt like I needed to do. Mm-hmm. We did that for a while, probably, uh, what, six or seven years or so. And again, 20 years ago, there was kind of like this stepping stone approach to ministry. Yeah. Where you, that's where you started. Yeah, kind of these preacher boys, so to speak, would start in student ministry and then would kind of go to something else until ultimately maybe you would get that head job in your church if yeah. you stayed long enough and it opened up. And yeah. 
which which has a it's another whole story there. But um, so we did student ministry for a while. The church we were working in did not have a small groups ministry, I, mm-hmm. I recall. Yeah. And so we approached the leadership and said, "Hey, could there maybe be a shift of responsibility where we move the student ministry responsibility to another pastor, and I take on the project of creating a groups ministry mm-hmm. in our and, church?" And you were doing worship too. Yeah, yeah, always doing worship. Always played guitar and sang and. Uh, led the church in worship. So that was always part of what I did. So that's what we did. We, we moved the ministry or the responsibility from student ministry over to groups ministry, did that for a long time, started a young couples ministry, did a lot of counseling. Uh, I would say it's probably the 2009, 2010 time period that uh, God began to do a work in my heart. It was, it was kind of a stirring in my heart that I knew that I wasn't doing what I would ultimately be doing, but I didn't really know what that was. And I remember reading 1 Corinthians 9.22, which has for many years now been my life verse because it, the Apostle Paul, it's like he's telling us, hey, this is why I do ministry. I mean, we can read the Apostle Paul all throughout his writings and we can glean, okay, he does ministry because he wants people to know who Jesus is. Yes, check, you're right. He does ministry because he wants people to see Jesus as the fulfillment of the Old Testament. You know, the, the, the Messiah that was prophesied in the Old Testament. Yes, check, you're right. But in 1 Corinthians 9, 22, he tells you why he's doing ministry. And he says these words, I've become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some. Mm. And I read that in 2009, but thereabouts, and just had this heaviness in my spirit and a conviction in my spirit. Because what I realized was you and I were at a church that did a great job of investing in the people that were already Christ followers. Mm-hmm. But in complete honesty and transparency, I would not bring my unbelieving friends to that church. So maybe that was on me. You know, I'm not even necessarily saying that the church was blowing it there. I'm just saying maybe, maybe that was even on me. Mm-hmm. But I looked at our church at the time and I thought, I'm not sure that our church would be that all things to all people by all means to save even just one person. And so that was a big deal for me. And and it really kind of changed the way and the trajectory of our ministry mm-hmm. because I thought, I'm not sure there's any other motivation than that. Mm-hmm. And as a Christ follower, I know what it's like to be loved by my creator, God, mm-hmm. And I know what it's like to have a hope that really is more powerful than any circumstance, any environment, any context, any challenge that I face. Mm-hmm. And I need people to know what that is. Mm-hmm. So I know you would agree, babe, that really changed the way we saw church. Yeah. I remember it being a really scary time because when you feel that kind of conviction that God gives you and yet you're in a position or a place where you're not able to live it out, you know that something drastic is going to have to happen in order for you to get, to get to the spot where God wants you to be. True. And that's what happened with us. I mean, we, you know, we, we, we kind of kept it a little secret, which makes me laugh, but (laughs) we took a trip out of town and we took like over a hundred resumes with us. We left our kids with friends (laughs) and we went to Florida (laughs) Because we were convinced Jesus is in the South. Jesus is in the South. <laughs> Jesus is on the beaches of Florida. <laughs> I guess he's making his way to Ohio, but not <laughs> January, February, and March. 
So we go to Florida. We're like, we are, we're going to pastor there. So we took over a hundred resumes, gave over a hundred resumes out to churches, to organizations mm-hmm. that represent churches, mm-hmm. came back pretty full of hope that something was going to come of that. And the months went by mm-hmm. six months, seven, eight months. I got a few phone calls, but they were crazy phone calls. I won't even go into them, but I was like, well, you have to tell about the pastor that called you from the boat yeah. on in St. Petersburg. Yeah. So a pastor did call me from a church. He was on his boat on the Tampa Bay when he called and, uh, it was within the first minute or two of the conversation. He said, I just really need to know one thing. He said, do you preach out of the King James version? No, no. I think he said the King James Bible. Uh, and, and I said, uh, no. Which is fine if you use that version. Yeah, totally fine if you use it. It was just not the one that I was most comfortable using. And I said no, and the conversation quickly ended. That's when I realized that uh, this was not going to be a very easy uh, thing for us to figure out. So, no, but so, so what ends up happening is so months go by, and when you drop off over 100 different resumes, and you get maybe six or seven phone calls, all of which don't pan out, and then the phone goes silent. Mm-hmm. It's like the death of a dream. Mm-hmm. When you think, wait a minute, God, like through your spirit, you broke my heart for this conviction to become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some, that through me Jesus can save some. But then it's almost like you don't follow through. And and maybe you're listening and you're like, I get it. It's like God gave me this dream. And then it's like the death of a dream. I was so convinced that this was going to happen. I thought it was almost almost like it was going to be easy. And then the dream dies. Mm-hmm. So we came back from that trip and, you know, we spent the next year wondering what was happening. And then we just made a decision. Hey, you know what? Maybe God wants us right here. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe God doesn't want mm-hmm. us to even leave the church that we're in. Maybe he kind of pulled the curtain back a little bit for us to see the challenges of the church we're serving in to, and to help change them Mm -hmm. to be a catalyst of change so um i want to pause right there just because when i'm going to jump ahead a little bit in our story but a really wise person who has been somewhat of a church planting mentor to you as we were going through the process that we'll get into in just a second he shared with you rick warren's six steps of faith Mm -hmm. yeah and I'm going to go ahead and just list what those are so that as you guys are listening you can kind of hear how we walked through all of these in without skipping one phase. So the first is dream, right. which you've already addressed, that right. God gave yep. you a dream. The second is there's a decision. So once God has given you a dream, you make a decision to follow it. The third is delay. Mm-hmm. The fourth is difficulty. The fifth is dead end. And the sixth is deliverance. So just kind of think on those as Andy continues to walk us through his story. But You've, you've had this dream, you know that something needs to be done, you've taken the attempts to find another opportunity for minister, ministry, and yet here we are with silence. Yeah, and it is crazy, I think I speak for a lot of the listeners too, that when God does give you that dream, that weight in your spirit, it's crazy how often it goes through those stages. Mm-hmm. And so many people just bail out when it hits delay. Yep. Definitely when it hits uh, dead end, mm-hmm. people are like, I'm done. Either I misunderstood what God was saying. Mm-hmm. And I don't really know what's at the heart of that, except that maybe most of us think, well, if God gave me the dream, it's going to happen and it's going to be easy. On and, our timetable. Yeah, um, for sure. Uh, and I'm still learning that, that sometimes 
more sanctification, like more um, pursuing of Jesus comes in the, the delay stage and even the dead end stage that would ever would have ever happened had those stages not been there. Mm-hmm. And I know it's easy to say, but man, I, I would hope that all of us as Christ followers would welcome those delay and dead end mm-hmm. stages and at least get to the place in our maturity of Christ following where we could say, thank you for that. Because I learned something in the midst of that that I could have never learned had that not happened. Yeah, and these six steps of faith aren't just for the people who are in full-time ministry. This goes for anyone who follows Jesus, who's seeking him to be the director and the the true north of all decisions in life. True, right. Yeah, so what ends up happening then is so we come back, and like I said, after a few months, uh, maybe six to eight months of nothing happening, we reinvested, so to speak, our hearts into the church we were already serving in, believing that maybe God wanted us to, like I said, be catalysts for change there. So for the next five years or so, we invested and we stayed and we, we, we were, I mean, I remember staff meetings where I would just, man, really make the, the atmosphere in the room a little uncomfortable, (laughs) Because I would say, hey, we're doing a great job reaching the people who are already Christ followers, but but what are we doing to reach the people who aren't? Mm-hmm. And those questions would just linger, and I could see the, the angst and the mm-hmm. tension building in the room, but I just really felt like that was what God had called me to do, and so I, I kept going for it. Finally, in 2014, it became evident uh, that thing, something really big had to change because me and some of the other staff had just come to kind of an impasse where the vision I had for our church did not match with the vision that that they did. And so over a period of months, um, there were a lot of conversations about the future. And Mm -hmm. and you and I, I mean, obviously you were with me through all of this. Mm -hmm. We eventually came to the conclusion that this was indeed not the place that God had for us. Mm -hmm. So we started the search again. The way I saw it is I had two options. I could either take over an existing church that was in need of a lead pastor, mm-hmm. or I think any pastor in my position has the option to plant a church. Mm-hmm. At the time, we didn't feel called to plant a church, so that was never really something we were pursuing. Right. We chose rather to pursue taking over an existing church. Right. It's funny that you even... I, I, I mean, for me, I don't think that church planting was ever even the tiniest dot on the radar. Right. Um, so it is kind of crazy. But what I love, and this is just a little backstory to our story, is that long before God was ready to do something really radical in your ministry, he was kind of preparing our family in a way that we didn't know. If you remember the timeline, before that that critical month hit where we were like, we're, we've got to do something different. Mm-hmm. God had given me a brand new job. Right. Yeah. And it was one of those things where he was giving us a little bit of security and a little bit. I had gone back to work for the full time for the first time since our kids were itty bitty, itty bitty. And it was a little bit of preparation for the unknown Mm -hmm. that was coming. Yeah. Yeah. And and what happened was it it really came to a boiling point where we were looking for another church. Things weren't panning out quickly there was a lot of tension around what was going to happen uh, because like you said, you, you know, we had just built a home, not, not long before that either, (laughs) not far from where we were working. 
So there was a lot of stuff kind of in our lives that, that was, we, we felt was going to keep us in the city of, of Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but we were willing and we were sending resumes again to the Southeast because Jesus lives there. So we were sending <laughs> them to Georgia and Florida and all South Carolina, all down there. Um, but again, just open to whatever God and wherever God wanted mm-hmm. us to go. Um, so there was one particular meeting in July of 2014 of that year mm-hmm. where, um, the leadership team, namely led by one of our other pastors asked me to be willing to commit to not planting a local church. Mm-hmm. And, uh, in that moment, I remember thinking, okay, the way I answer is going to be I, like, there's no win here for mm-hmm. us. Right. And there's a lot that I'm not sharing that was, you know, made for a, a really intense moment when that question was asked, but it, but it came from a place of fear where, um, the church and the church leadership who was kind of walking this through with me, um, didn't want the risk of people from their church going with us and planting if we stayed in the same city. I definitely understand that fear. I don't think it's a valid one though. Mm -hmm. In all frankness, I think there's more than enough people in the city of Cincinnati to continue to plant churches. Definitely more than enough people in this entire country Mm -hmm. to plant church after church after church. We should be all about it no matter where it is. But I'm thinking if I say yes, then I'm removing one of those two options off the table. Right. And at the time, the spirit had not led me to remove that option. So that was a pressure cooker kind of a thing Mm -hmm. for me. And I also knew that if I said no, it was the the thermometer was going to break open. Mm -hmm. So I said no. (laughs) And uh, it did break open. Mm -hmm. That meeting uh, got real bad. And uh, within a couple of weeks, you and I were sitting with uh, some of the leaders of the church, basically tendering our resignation. Mm -hmm. Now, looking back on that, definitely, was that a dead end? It sure felt like it. Mm -hmm. So we resigned just a few weeks after that. Uh, We could have never anticipated all of the questions and comments and concerns and emails and text messages and phone calls. That we would have gotten from from people. Because our best friends really didn't even know. I mean, we could count on one hand how many people knew what we were going through and the decisions we right. were making. And, and yeah, all it happened that. So, so quickly. Yeah. Can you tell and remember what happened at that meeting where we met with leadership and we got a little gift from a stranger, right. if you recall? Mm-hmm. So we were sitting there at a, I think it was a Panera or something. Yeah, it was. I guess that's where all suburban pastors go to die, right? They go eat chicken noodle soup with a baguette. So we're sitting there, we're meeting with two of the church officers and I mean, you're crying. Not, but not super emotional. I'm Yeah, Not not super emotional, but obviously somebody on the other side of the restaurant was like, (laughs) it's kind of creepy, but it was like watching us. Yeah. And, and, And she could tell that we were having an intense conversation but here's what's wild is she didn't know what it was about, but she wrote down on a post-it note, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight, which says, mm-hmm. stand firm, let nothing move you. Mm-hmm. And she wrote it down on a post-it note. And when we stood up to leave, she walked over and she said, not, I, I can't remember the exact words, but it was something like, I know you don't know me and I know this is weird, mm-hmm. but I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to give this to you. Mm-hmm. And she handed us that. Post-it note. That post-it note. And we still have it today. Yeah. And the, the second half of it that she included in there was knowing that your labor for the work of the Lord is not in vain. Yeah, it's not in vain. And I think that for me, that's what I needed to hear, that 
in spite of the fact that we didn't know what was next and that I don't know whether God was ushering us out of the boat for months or years ahead of time, but that he, he did in fact flip the boat in order for us to get out of it. Mm -hmm. And yet he still gave us that promise through a stranger that I couldn't even tell you what she looks like today to just remind us that we're seen, we're held, we're purposed and there's still more to come. Yeah. And that's what I was saying earlier is God teaches us things in those moments of delay and dead end Mm -hmm. That we just can't learn if everything's going great. Yeah. All of us would love for life to be great. Mm-hmm. But man, I'm telling you, sometimes you just have to have those times where you just hit a wall and it bruises you up and bloodies you up. But you stand back and you're like, ultimately, Jesus is like, thank you for that. Like we we have that post-it note yeah, in a frame. little frame in yeah. our room. It's like, yeah. God, thank you for that. Because what ended up happening is we we resigned like I think a week after that. As you're as a pastor, for you to wake up on a Sunday and not have a church to go to, mm-hmm. that is really tough. And I remember waking up the following Sunday, so one week after we resigned, mm-hmm. and I had no church to go to. Mm-hmm. Man, that was heavy. Mm-hmm. Ended up going and like painting a garage floor mm-hmm. for a little bit extra money. Mm-hmm. And that was really, really tough. What I love about that season, though, is that I already mentioned we had been serving in ministry our whole marriage up to that point, and God then gifted us for the next year with a year of sitting under really great leadership, healing leadership Mm -hmm. at a church that was in the same city, but one that we'd never been a part of in the past. Mm -hmm. And it was the first time that we had heard from a pastor, you have permission to just sit and receive. Yeah, right. You don't need to serve. You don't need to be at everything. You can just sit, receive, and heal. Yeah. And that's what we needed. And not only that, but also a pastor who said, I see something in you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I want to flesh this out with you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, to this day, I tell him those days and weeks with him, this is at another church now that we started to attend. Those were incredibly life-changing for us because remember we'd come out of an environment that was get out. Mm -hmm. And now this new environment was, no, no, we want to welcome you in. in." Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you, make sure you're on the welcome inside. If you're listening, make sure you're on the welcome inside because God's work is so much bigger than you. Mm -hmm. And to hear him say, Hey, you're welcome here. Do you, have you ever thought about planting a church? <laughs> it's like, don't ever say those curse words around <laughs> me. But I told him, I said, yeah. In fact, any conversation I've had around it has been bad. Mm-hmm. And he said, well, I really want to kind of talk to you about that because I see it in you. Yeah. And so we ended up coming on staff at that church to do like a one-year church planting residency, which is a fantastic idea. If, if your church is looking to plant someone, bring them on, pay them, to, to incubate with you for a year and to learn about what makes a church not only glorifying to the Lord, but, but really life changing for a city or for a community. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. I, I served with them for a year and they basically paid me to build my, to build our church. Mm-hmm. My, I just mean the church I pastor mm-hmm. on paper. I mean, ultimately it's Christ church, but I just yeah. mean on paper. Yeah. And, and I would go to them and say, Hey, what do you guys think about this? And one of the other pastors, the church planning pastor would be like, Hey, that's great, but that may not work real well. Try this. Mm-hmm. What, what, how do you feel about this? And it was this constant give and take of ideas and helps until ultimately after one year, 
we had raised money. We had built a launch team. We had found a location. We had signed a lease. We had bought um, AV equipment, lighting equipment. I mean, we had everything we needed to do to virtually one week not be a church and the next week be a church. Yeah. It was awesome. And then like yeah. the first day, so many people came, more than we could have ever imagined would come. And God has just been heaping and pouring his blessings out on us. Ever since. Ever since, yeah. yeah. And it's called? Passion, Passion Community, Community Church. Church. Yeah. So it, it's crazy to think that it's been almost five years. It just, in a blink of an eye, that time has gone by. And it, you know, you can make a case that, well, it sounds like there were some really rough valleys that we went through in order to get to where we are. But even when you start something new, it doesn't mean that it's all rainbows and unicorns and everything's easy. I I mean, you still face the hard things because ministry is, is work. And I remember that pastor, um, when we were at the church that eventually planted us, I remember him saying, it will be the hardest thing you've ever done, but it would all, it will also be the best thing you've ever done. And that has proven definitely to be true. Yeah. Yeah. I think also when people go through these kinds of times where you have a dream and then you hit some walls and you have delay or even face a dead end, God continues to use people to speak into you who see things in you. He continues obviously to use the scripture to build truths into you. Uh, But sometimes he even just provides the words of other godly people or Christians in your circle to give you affirmation. And I remember, again, because we weren't in ministry, we had the freedom to go on a couple strip. And I'd come across this book. And I feel like it was one of those that every time I laid it down, someone else who was on our trip was picking it mm-hmm. up to yeah. read it. Yeah. But I wanted to just share um, the author, some of the thoughts that she had, because they had been in a similar situation where she and her husband had left a church where they had been established to start something new. And when you leave and there's not some salacious scandal behind it, there's always the question behind people who don't know all the details of there has to be something more. Mm -hmm. And this is what she says, but things like leaving new ideas and perception further complicated by no details about where we were going made for a difficult transition. No one wanted the particulars more than my husband and I, but part of our task was going without knowing. Those were hard, difficult days. Sometimes following God is the worst. I can say with some confidence, if you go wherever God says and when, expect to be misunderstood and go anyway. And I have, the, I have that portion underlined. I have it highlighted. I have exclamation points. <laughs> yeah. And I have the date that right. I read it, right. which was May of 2015. Yeah. I think there's so much power in that that is even beyond a book. I mean, the idea that for for many of us, even some of you listening, I'm guilty of this too. God will not always reveal the entire journey. Yeah. He'll reveal maybe a step, mm-hmm. maybe a doorway, mm-hmm. but he'll never say, hey, here's where you're going to end up. So take this first step because you're going to be great. We knew we had to leave. We had no idea where we were going. And there's, there's power in that. It's yeah. very difficult, but man, there's a lot of power in living that life of uh, steadfast faith and trust in our father that he's, he's got you no matter where yeah. you go. I can't think of a time in our life and I can't really even think of a time in scripture where, well, I guess there were 
some prophecies. But most of the time when God was requiring an enormous, extraordinary amount of faith, he was asking for the step of obedience before he parted the waters. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how I felt like our story was too. For sure. Yeah. He was saying, I have something before you. You just have to trust me and take the step and I will carry you the right. rest of the way. Yeah. That's powerful. So what's next for Pastor Andy? Well, I'm going to keep doing the church thing. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, even within the church, this has been a really challenging year where the Big C Church has had to step up and love their people, serve their people in a way that was almost reinventing the wheel week to week to week. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm actually really excited. Um, I would encourage all of you listening, don't waste 2020. You know, 2020, I think we all want to kind of run away from 2020 and leave it in our <laughs> rear view as soon as we possibly can. If it doesn't explode before the end of the year with some other crazy thing, it probably will. But we really cannot leave 2020 uh, that way. I, I want to seize 2020. I think we've learned a lot um, about the way people receive the word. Um, mm-hmm. It's It doesn't always have to be in person in a room. I still think there's some benefits to that. I uh, definitely believe gathering together is still yeah. kind of the MO the of plan. the church. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but people are digesting scripture and sermons like never before. I mean, more and more people are listening to like four and five churches yeah. every Sunday, which, okay, I get it. You're, you're not really belonging to a church, though, if you do that. Mm-hmm. Or serving. Or serving, yeah. So there's mm-hmm. still some pieces missing in that. But I think coming out of 2020, I think the church is going to have a new footing. Yeah. Um, I think local churches are almost going to be springboarding out of COVID and Corona and I mean, all that stuff happening. And, and I'm hopeful for the future. Yeah. I'd like to see an injection of momentum in our local churches. We feel it yeah, at our do. church. Mm-hmm. It's I, I feel like there's a palpable, 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 palpable. Yeah, that's Thank okay, you. Babe. I'm Webster for you. <laughs> a palpable feeling right now within our own house of this momentum that, I mean, we are seeing so many new people coming Mm -hmm. and so many young adults that are coming. And there is just this excitement that is different, even though our numbers are smaller because of the registration and having to still socially distance and all of that. But I do believe that we know the promise in scripture is that God's church will never fail. Right. Yeah. Even it goes, I mean, gates of hell, yeah. This is COVID. So if the gates of hell aren't going to prevail, right. then COVID's, COVID's not, not going to either. Yeah. yeah. So that's exciting. And yeah. I think that I know I need to be reminded of that regularly. I'm sure that a lot of our listeners need to be reminded of that regularly. And probably even some pastors need to be reminded of that yeah. too. Yeah. I would encourage, again, a pastor who might be listening, or if you know a pastor who might be listening, um, man, just in, just encourage them. Mm-hmm. Um, and speaking as a pastor, I think your pastors definitely need to know that you're praying for them and that you love them and that you are behind them. Cause there've been so many times in the midst of all this where we've had to think outside the box and yeah. Hey, will this work? Is it worth spending 25 grand on this? Is it, is it really worth doing a hire right now in the mm-hmm. midst of a pandemic? You know, how's budget looking and what is giving looking like? I mean, there's so many things that will keep your pastors up at night mm-hmm. in 2020 more than really in any, any year. year. Yeah. Um, we've been in ministry since what, 1999, 2000. Yeah. Uh, this is the first year that I feel like it's like one thing after another that can really rob a pastor of joy. So yeah. if, if if you have a pastor, uh, I would just encourage you even right now, when this is over, just send an email. Just say, I see you. I'm praying for you. Yes. Uh, I care for you. Thanks for leading. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. 
So this podcast is all about finding purpose in the promises that God has given us. So I know you've referenced a few, and I know you have so much of the Bible memorized, but is there a particular scripture verse that has, has done that for you? Um, for sure. It's, I, I don't want to be the easy guy here, but I'm going back to first Corinthians nine 22. Mm-hmm. I become all things to all people so that by all means I might save some, uh, that gives me purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I tell people all the time, Paul's one of those guys, the apostle Paul, that I just can't wait to share a cup of coffee, or whatever we drink in heaven. I think that you're probably very similar to him in yeah. personality. I just would love to talk with him. Mm-hmm. Be like, you know, what was it? you know, what what really did drive you? And I think it's going to be this almost like undefinable sense of this being compelled, this conviction to just say, I don't care what people think. <laughs> Maybe with, you know, just a sense of I'm going for it. Because even if just one person crosses the line of faith and says, I'm going to give my life to Jesus and experience eternal hope in him, it's it's worth it. It's worth it all. Yeah. I mean, the guy was shipwrecked. He was beaten. He was stoned with rocks and yeah. imprisoned. Imprisoned. I mean, multiple times appeared before the emperors, and I mean, all these guys. His life was in the in the balance, and he still just kept going. Yeah. So yeah, that for sure. So when you two questions that we always ask when you are not doing all the church stuff, which I know is very very time consuming, what do you love? Hmm. Well, I love riding Other motorcycles. Than me, yes, that, which I mean, was that's your first response. Sure, totally was. <laughs> uh, um, for sure, love riding motorcycles. Um, but if I'm able to get out of town, I love going out west. And I've told our church this a lot. I love standing on a high mountain and just overlooking a valley. It's like in those moments, God reminds me of how like small I am and how big He is. Mm-hmm. And those are like moments of worship for me. They never get old. Yeah. Yeah. And if there was one prayer that you could have answered, what would it be? Yeah, it would definitely be unity uh, uh, in the church. Mm-hmm. Um, if the church cannot find some way to unify in the midst of all the crazy of 2020, we're, we're missing it. So definitely unity. And just growth for the church as well, that we would find momentum and find new enthusiasm for the things of the Lord and how our world still needs them. And man, just go for it. I'm with you in the journey. Let it be. Let it be. Thanks, babe, for yeah. coming on my podcast. Hey, no <laughs> I know this was um, took a little bit of, of convincing, and I know this wasn't probably how you wanted to spend your Sunday afternoon after you've just preached no, two no times. No problem. I'll do it for you one time. Thanks. This is it. For the record, I did ask him to be my first guest on the podcast and he was like, nope, not going to happen. So now we're 14 in. Okay. So we've gotten our feet wet a little bit. That'll work. So, yeah. But well, I, I it. it's, it's pastor appreciation month and I definitely appreciate you and your love for our people, your love for the church, your love for our family and your, your love for Jesus. Thanks. Thanks for loving me. Yeah, you got it. I love you. <laughs> love you too. For those of you who are part of our house at Passion Community Church, you get to hear from Pastor Andy every week, but you may not have heard his heart or his journey to what led him into ministry. And if you are part of another church, 
maybe you can understand a little bit more the heart of a pastor. There is so much work that goes into leading a body of people. There are a lot of days that are really stressful, sometimes days that are really lonely, but in the end, saying yes to full-time serving Jesus in ministry was the best yes that we as a couple could have ever made. There's a verse in the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12 says, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work, and live in peace with each other. It is October, Pastor Appreciation Month, so go the extra mile and let your pastors know how much they are appreciated, how much they are seen, and how much they are loved. Thanks for hanging with me and my husband, Pastor Andy, on this episode of the Let It Be podcast.